A B C D E S C H L S K N O P Q R S T U V W S Y and Z. Now Y my my A B C. It's time on Peace. Welcome to Care Conversations the podcast where we explore various topics that pertain to respectful interactions with children. I'm Liz. And I'm Stephen. The topic of today is consent and autonomy. Uh, Do you want to define that? So we um, define this as kids having the right to govern their own body, and they have the right to say no to things that are requested of them as well. Right, so we want to teach that kids like have their own choices over what is done to their body and the choices they make, what other people do to their body as well. Right. And just, yeah, the choices that they make in general. Yeah, we want to teach them that they have the right to choose. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the topic. Hi, future Stephen here from Post. Liz and I realized that with the topic of autonomy, the issue of sexual safety does arise. However, we feel that we are not qualified to discuss this by ourselves. Therefore, we would like to invite an expert on the subject to discuss it with us in a future episode. Until then, please enjoy this episode. Okay, so the first thing we want to talk about is um, asking in a way that's consenting instead of demanding. (laughs) Hi. So it's very important to focus on any relationship with a child and an adult as a relationship. Traditionally, it's seen as the adult being in charge of the child, but that's just not true. (laughs) And that's um, something that we want to start moving away from. And that's why consent is very important because the child is not just the subject, (laughs) for lack of a better word, of the adult. They are their own person and should be treated as such. And so the perspective we have is working alongside the child, working with the child to work together and cooperate for an end goal. I feel like a lot of conflict we have with children is because they don't do what we want, when we want, or how we want. And that's why we have conflict with children. And I think autonomy, when we see them as an autonomous being, we can avoid a lot of that conflict. So... (laughs) was beautifully stated. Uh, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of times children are taught that, you know, the adult is always right. You know, whatever the adult says goes. But, you know, that leads to a lot of situations where children, oh, I have to do what this adult says. You know, I'm going to get in trouble or whatever. Um, and that's simply not the case. Uh, we need kids to be able to make their own choices and be able to say no when someone's doing something that could be harmful to them. Right. A lot of this is with in mind that a lot of these attitudes and ideas that we are maybe not consciously um, giving our children can be potentially dangerous if you say, you know, 
do this and they say why and your reason is because I said so, that's teaching them an idea, as Stephen said, that is potentially dangerous in a situation of predatory adults. <laughs> sure. I mean, I see this in the classroom too when kids aren't listening and teachers say, no teacher said you have to do this, so you do it. It's It bothers me a lot to hear that. I wish I could explain you know, to other teachers why that is. I mean, certainly you want kids to be able to listen to you and, and things for the sake of running the classroom and making it go smoother. But I think we really just need to shift our whole perspective entirely, even as adults, but uh, also I'm talking from the perspective of a teacher. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. that sometimes it's better to just let go of control. Our first kind of topic is um, we think it's really important that, of course, of course we're going to ask kids to do things, especially when safety involve, is involved, especially when there's a program where there are multiple children involved, a lot of individuals all involved. Of course, we're going to be asking kids, especially young kids, to do things. But it's important to do it in a way that's consenting instead of demanding so if you have to ask a kid to wash their hands there's a consenting way to do that versus a demanding way to do that i mean we have a lot of examples hugging is a huge one instead of saying oh give me a hug <laughs> you can say can i have a hug and that's a lot more and then you don't expect the child to give you a hug or a kiss um, especially for family family members that are not familiar with them or there's a lot of reasons a child might not want to give a hug. Um, and I know there's a lot of information, especially about hugging out there right now. Um, but it is it's super important. Any kind of physical contact, you want your child to be comfortable to say no to that physical contact. <laughs> because it's their body and they know if they want to be touched or not. But right, and it's important to, um, to respect when a child says no to that. To not take it personally and not be hurt by it because um, there's no reason to be hurt when a child says no I don't want to give you a hug maybe you're someone that doesn't like hugs or you don't want to hug at every moment of the day so you want to be respected as well yeah it's just important to not take it too personal yeah and that and that goes for all the kind of physical touches tickling is a huge one if a child says mm -hmm. no or stop it's important to do that immediately even something I know that you had mentioned about when we were talking about this earlier, like if they have a wound or something, they fell and they scraped their knee. The difference between saying, let me see versus can I see, because obviously you're trying to help them, but, and it's very subtle and it's a cultural thing too. I mean, we're just used to saying, let me see, let me see, or right, come, come here or all that kind of stuff. Um, but just trying to rephrase that and just to, to be aware of, how we are constantly demanding actions from kids all day and we don't even realize it. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. Like uh, when I'm working, you know, in the preschool, every morning we do health checks and we check to see if the kids have any uh, owies, as we call them. I will always ask the children, you know, do you have any owies? Yes. Oh, can I see? I'll never or try not to say, okay, let me see. <laughs> So yeah, there are many examples of habitual things like that that we just say to kids that we don't realize are demanding of them. And so just stopping, I just want to encourage 
everyone and I still have to remind myself to just stop and just think about the language I'm using with children. Like, am I adding in consenting language where I can? And just being aware of that. And you notice the difference too as soon as you start. I don't know, even the child, I think, can sense when you're approaching it from the side of, I want to work with you towards something rather than, I want you to do this because I just want you to do it and I told you so. (laughs) Right. That kind of goes back to the relationship thing. Like when a child feels safe with you and feels that you care about them, then they will want to listen to you. They will want to obey you because they know that you have their best interest in mind. So something that relates to autonomy is when we talk about kids and their emotions. A lot of times I hear uh, from other teachers in my classroom and from other parents that when a child is crying or when they're upset, often you'll hear, don't cry. Um, or stop crying. That's not a reason to cry about that. That's nothing to cry about. And it irritates me to no end. <laughs> Children are definitely allowed to have their own emotions. Yeah, it's annoying when kids cry. It's it's loud and obnoxious, but it's part of being a human. Sometimes upset, like kids are going to cry. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. I feel like instead we should try to be encouraging to them. Maybe they might need help regulating themselves. Or maybe they don't and they just need some space. Uh, But telling a kid not to cry is telling them that their emotions are invalid. It's telling them that they're not allowed to have emotions. That they're not allowed to get upset. Right. And that goes for boys and girls. Yes. There's, (laughs) There's still a lot of boys don't cry kind of attitudes around. Um, It's not okay. Boys are humans too. (laughs) <laughs> and, yep, boys are humans too. And, I, I can I can uh, contest to that. And, and all humans have feelings and are allowed to express their feelings. Our children are also allowed emotional autonomy. They are allowed their own emotions and the expression thereof. No, uh, yeah, for the reactions too. You know, sometimes if a child gets upset, the parent might say, don't talk to me that way, you know, or get scolded for back talking when all they're really doing is just trying to express themselves mm-hmm. and maybe they don't know the kindest or most polite words to say but that's something that they need to maybe be taught they need to be given words you know here's a better way to express that or even just allowing them to freely say their words as long as it's not directly disrespectful to anyone I mean, it's all it's all a balance because, of course, you want to teach your children to speak respectfully and, um, you know, we don't want kids going around, especially as they're older. The older they are, the more they can understand respectfully expressing their feelings. Um, but we do need to be an example of that and um, we need to maintain our self-regulation when they express those things to us instead of just shutting them down and maybe in that moment if your child says to you I hate you or they're throwing a tantrum that's not the right moment to teach them (laughs) Um, so a lot of times what we end up we're trying to teach them you know don't talk to me that way might 
be more received as them being shut down. It might They might receive it as, oh, I shouldn't just express anything at all, when really you, you might, you know, you're okay with them expressing they don't like something, but it's just the way that they're doing it. Um, but in the heat of the moment is not a teachable moment. So that's why we want to avoid saying these kind of things, because um, it just teaches them to be ashamed of their feelings and, and feel like they can't express what they're feeling at all. And then later you can revisit the moment and give alternative ways to express those feelings in an age-appropriate setting, of course. I mean, depending on their age. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like after they've calmed down, you can say, hey, here's what you said. Here's a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. Maybe try using those words next time. Mm -hmm. yep. What do you feel about when a kid tells you no? Hey, put your shoes on, please. No. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're allowed to say no. I always like to look at the root of the reaction. Why are they saying no? Do they not want to go outside? Do they not like their shoes? Are their shoes too tight? Are they uncomfortable with something that happened before and they're not ready to move on? Or they liked something from before and they're not ready to move on? Or there's so many different reasons why a child might say no to you. I guess I would always try to find the reason. They might even be saying no just to simply assert their independence. Right. Just they found that no is a powerful word and they just want to say it right now because they feel powerful when they say it. Right. But yeah, it's, you know, I've heard it said, don't tell me no to children. And I think it is important to tell kids that there, there is a time when it is appropriate for them to say no. And there's times when they need to say no to things. Right. If an adult is doing something or another child even is doing something that could hurt them or that they don't like, they should be able to say no. Right. Kids are allowed to say no as well. They're allowed to not like what we're asking of them. And we'll go more into this in a little bit, but I mean, we're allowed to set boundaries and limits, but they're allowed to have reactions to those boundaries and limits as well. Yeah. A lot of people don't like seeing the reaction to the boundaries and limits. Well, that's natural. That's going to happen, um, especially if it's a new boundary or limit. Or a lot of times kids will test old boundaries and limits. Or maybe it's time to adjust your boundaries and limits. There's a lot of reasons for these reactions as well. And just because we don't like a reaction to something doesn't mean we have the right to just shut a child down. And the more that you respect a child's boundaries, the more that you are respectful towards them saying no, they will be more respectful to others as well. I have seen this in my classroom with my preschool kids where we've taught the children to say to each other, no, thank you. I don't like that when a boundary has been crossed. And I say this as well with the child. If they're doing something that, that I don't like to me, I will tell them. I'll say, no, thank you. I don't like that. For example, if a child is crawling between my legs, I will tell them, no, thank you. I don't like that because <laughs> I really don't like it when kids do that. And I've heard other children using that same language to each other. Yeah, which is exactly what you want them to be doing. So you're, you're setting an example for them as well. When you respect their answer, no, then they're going to respect other people's answers, no. 
and things like that. It just keeps growing and growing into it's a good like social behavior to know. So it's important to say that, yes, we are in charge of the children to a certain extent. We're in charge of their safety. We're in charge of making sure they have good hygiene and are eating or are provided with food. Those are our roles. So yes, we do have a certain responsibility over the child, but we should carry out those responsibilities without a sense of them being less than us. Sure, or like where a child has to do something in a certain way or in a certain amount of time because I'm the adult and I'm telling you to do it that way. Right, yes. It's important to to make that distinction as well. Absolutely. Like we can ask a child to put their shoes on, but we can't ask of a child or even it's not realistic even to have the expectation that a child can do it in one minute yeah aligning the expectations and the adult responsibility in this situation to a realistic level is important as well right like wash your hands come on let's go let's go let's do it right (laughs) okay all done Right. Okay, now dry your hands. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> right. When that that hand-washing experience for a child, even an older child could be, you know, it's not just about, oh, they're getting their hands clean. They're sensing the water. It's a, it's a new experience. You know, the temperature of the water. Well, kids the, love playing with water. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, if you sit and you think about what water is and you just stare at it, it's It's fascinating. (laughs) Like, what is this thing that comes out of faucets or that's that's just there in a cup? Or it's kind of crazy. (laughs) Yeah, the way it moves and the way you know it flows. It's really interesting for kids the way it feels on their hands. And how and how does it exist? And yeah. So and if you think a child actually is in a state of more so hypnosis for the first seven years of their life. We're in a hypnotic state like when we daydream while driving or when we're watching TV. So if you think of the way that your thoughts flow differently when you're in that kind of state of mind, that's the kind of state of mind a child is in constantly throughout their whole life until about the age of seven. And so I think it's important to understand that perspective as well so that we have more patience. It just means that things are more slow for the child because they're processing all this crazy i mean our world is crazy if you stop and think about some some of the things we experience just such as water or wind you know how do things move without anything like seemingly anything touching them all this stuff they're processing all at the same time and while we're sitting there talking at them demanding things of them sensory overload yes it takes time for the brain to learn how to sort out sensory information which information is important which isn't um it's really easy for kids to get overloaded Mm -hmm. you know i've seen this so often where a kid is trying to do something and the teacher or the adult is blah 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 do this do that now do that it's a sensory overload Mm mm-hmm Mm -hmm. um silence is such a great tool sometimes when i'm guiding kids through something i don't even talk at them i just point (laughs) i won't say dry your hands i'll just 
point of the paper towels. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's a good tool. And it's so important for us to to have that perspective to understand what we're requesting of children. And are we requesting things that are at times unrealistic? It's We have a lot of unrealistic expectations of kids. It makes us overstep a boundary that we should be having with them. It makes us overstep their autonomy and their consent when we don't have the correct perspective about how they're perceiving things. Sure, and I've seen it before that, you know, while an adult is overloading a child, they start to break down, they cry, and, you know, they just shut down. And what does, how does the adult react? They say, well, you should have listened. <laughs> right. <laughs> Blaming the child for not being able to live up to unrealistic expectations. No, I can cite an example. So, like, I've seen it where kids... If you want a child to, you know, follow through with something that you're asking of them, they need to have the ability to do it. If you want them to wash their hands, they need to know how to wash their hands first. Mm -hmm. If not, they might need more guidance. If you want your two-year-old to put their shoes on by themselves, are they able to do that? You can't yell at them or blame them for not being able to if they can't. Uh, I was observing once in the classroom... And there was a child who was carrying the scissors with the blade out. One of the teachers stopped him, said, how do you hold the scissors? Show me how to hold the scissors. But he didn't know how. So he just froze and was like, uh, what do I do? And then the teacher started yelling at him because he didn't understand. He did not know how. In that situation, what the teacher should have done is said, let me show you how to hold the scissors. Showed him how, holding it by the blade. Mm -hmm. Here, now you try. Rather than just getting mad at him for not knowing. Right. Yeah, and that is, it's important to balance autonomy with ability. Right. What is a child able to do and what are they not able to do? So this, of course, if you're in a center or you are at a school, you're, you're within a system working with kids. It's hard to, you can't just let every child sit and play with the water for 10 minutes, for example. But we can help them follow along in a routine or a schedule with empathy. So instead of saying, okay, you washed your hands for one minute, now you're done, let's go. You can say, oh, I know the water is so fascinating. It's really cool. Unfortunately, it's time to turn it off now. Or, you know, oh, I know you love the water. We'll see the water again soon. You know, saying something that, that shows that you understand that this is not ideal for them to move on from the water. Just having empathy in that situation for, for how they're experiencing a transition or how they're experiencing, you know, wanting to do something but not being able to continue doing it. And just the way we communicate with that with them is so important. Maybe an older child might even be able to understand a more uh, community-based approach, uh, understanding that other kids need to wash their hands too, and um, understanding that there is a certain time limit of being at the sink and washing hands rather than saying like, come on, we're done, let's go. Maybe saying like, hey, uh, it's now time to dry your hands. 
because there's a lot of other people that also need to wash hands. I think stating like like that, mm-hmm. you know, would be appropriate. Of course, this all depends on the child's own ability. Um, some children might be able to understand that approach and some might not. It's important to get to know every child and know which approach is best for each child because one approach might work really well for one child, but not for another child. Some children might need stricter limits and some children might need a more gentle approach. Some children, if you if you set a hard limit with some children, they might just shut down. Some children, if you try a gentler approach, they just won't <laughs> listen to you. So you really got to get to know each child and decide which approach is, is best and appropriate in each moment. That's part of the interesting part, I think, of working with children. You have to use your problem-solving skills almost constantly. <laughs> so it keeps it interesting. So, of course, there are going to be situations in which um, a child cannot give consent. So, in certain situations, a diaper change, for example. That child cannot give necessarily their verbal consent for a diaper change. But you can say, you can use language during that diaper change in a consenting way, rather than just change their diaper. You could say, oh, if, if they're unable to give consent at all. You can say, oh, it's time to change your diaper and explain kind of what you're doing as you do it. You know, oh, we have to take off your dirty diaper so that we can get you a nice clean one. And when you're wiping, you can say, oh, I'm going to wipe now. Kind of say what you're going to do before you do it. That just helps them be involved in the moment as well and um, brings them awareness of the situation that's happening it's also great for language development if you're talking about what you're doing while you're doing it it gives more context to the child for the language that you're using it will help their language skills no matter what level they're at right of understanding language and possibly putting it to use in the future yeah depending on the ability of the child i recall an experience with a three-year-old child uh, that i worked with and when it would be time to go to the bathroom, uh, she she still wore pull-ups, but could sit on the toilet and could use it, but wouldn't tell us when she needed to go. Um, so often, you know, she would she, her pull-up would be wet. When we took her to the bathroom, um, she was the kind of child that would just say no to pretty much anything, <laughs> to pretty much just assert her independence, I suppose. Uh, so we'd go to the bathroom. I'd say. All right, it's time to go to the bathroom. Go ahead, sit on the toilet. And she'd say, nope. I'd be like, oh, okay. Well, can I help you change your pull? Nope. Oh. Well, if you don't, no, no, no. (laughs) Just whatever I would say. No, no, no. Uh, She was a child that really needed uh, really strict limits. Um, And that if you, you know, gave her an inch, she would take it a mile. As far as like rules and limits of the classroom. So I found if I brought her to the bathroom, said, it's time to sit on the toilet. I'll wait for you here. And I just stood by the door and I would just turn my back on her and just let her do her thing. Eventually, she would do it. Um, It took some patience. Sometimes she would sit there for five whole minutes, sometimes longer. But eventually, she'd, 
she'd sit on the toilet and then she'd be okay with me helping her change her pull-up or whatever. That's what worked for that child. Sometimes you got to adjust. Sometimes, you know, did it, you know, we had a lot of kids in that classroom. It took a long time sometimes to get all those kids through the bathroom. Did this interrupt that process? It sure did. But we had, you know, two toilets that they could use. So even if she took up one of them, other kids could still use the other one. Yeah, it took a little longer, but, you know, you got to make adjustments. I didn't see anything wrong with, with the adjustment. Other teachers would try to be more strict with her and would pick her up, bring her kicking and screaming to the bathroom, pull her pants down for her, sit her on the toilet. That did not go well. She would scream for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Clearly, it just it did not work. So this is a child that you needed to be strict with, but not so strict that you're being a bully to her. <laughs> not forcibly strict. Not forcibly strict, I guess, is a better mm -hmm. way to say it. Mm -hmm. there's, um, a, there's, in the two ways to handle it, there was holding firm boundaries and limits, but respectfully, and versus trying to force the child to do something. And in the end, it takes the same amount of time, either way you do it. If you just wait for the child to do it on their own time, Yes, it takes a while, it feels like it takes a long time, but there's peace in that situation. Whereas if you try to force a child to do something, you'll end up doing the waiting still, but it will just be more traumatic and chaotic. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Also by waiting, you are demonstrating patience for that child. Give an example, this is what it is to be patient, that even though this is a stressful situation, even though we're kind of in a conflict right now, I'm still gonna be patient. And right. hold my ground. Yeah, you're showing that you're standing in your abilities as an adult, a responsible adult. You're taking responsibility for the situation. And that's, that also shows the child that they are in a secure environment with you. And that's a trust-building exercise between you and the child as well. It's just, there's just so many positives that go into sometimes just waiting <laughs> which is yeah like as you said it's a it's a good practice for them to see it's just a good just just wait for children sometimes it's it's huge and and they need that there's there's a lot of things as we said before there's a lot of things going on within them that we don't see there's so much that they're processing they sometimes just need time. I've seen this mm -hmm. with kids after nap time, too. They aren't quite ready to get off their cot. They're still kind of waking up. They're kind of groggy. And there you have, you have two choices. One, you can wait for them to get off their cot to be ready on their own time. Does the cot need to be picked up right now? Mm, no, not really. You know, does this kid need to get up right now? Well, if so, maybe try waking them up a little bit earlier. Five, ten minutes? What's the harm in doing that? Or your other choices, you can drag them off their cot and wait for them as they're kicking and screaming. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, just a little bit of patience goes a long way. You know, you can encourage them. Come on, it's time to get off your cot. Here we go. You can do it. You got this. 
um, as you're waiting for them. So, and yeah, empathy. Like, oh, I know you really wanted to keep sleeping. You weren't ready to wake up yet, were you? Yeah, it's okay. You can do it. You got this. Um, I found that works a lot better than, come on, let's go. You need to go right now. Let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and dragging them off. I, I will not pick kids up off their cots. I don't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> Plus, it hurts my back. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Yeah, I think that a good rule of thumb, a good standard to have when working with children is to avoid forcing them to do things as much as possible. It sounds simple. It sounds kind of like an an obvious standard to have, but we see that being breached constantly all day for children. Yeah, even something such as, oh, you're done eating and you carry the child over to the sink to wash their hands unnecessarily. If they are capable of walking, why would you need to carry them or move their body to be somewhere? If they don't need that help, why would you move their body on their behalf? Yes, you might have to wait for them to to waddle over to the sink if they're recently learning to walk, for example. But, you know, even these small situations where we are we are doing things on behalf of children that they are able to do themselves, we don't need to be doing that. <laughs> we want to let them do it on their own as much as they can. Right. My rule of thumb is don't help a child unless they ask for it. Be there in the moment with them. Offer help if you see them struggling for a while. Do you need my help? If they say no, just keep letting them go. Mm-hmm. Going back to the lunch thing, this is another great example. If a child really needs to clean up their lunch right now, you know, in a preschool setting or classroom setting, maybe you do have a time schedule and they do need to clean up right now. But yeah, rather than moving their body, sometimes I'll pick up a kid's plate and say, okay, here we go. It's time to clear it. And then as they're getting up, hand it back to them you know, allowing them to finish the process by themselves. Right. You can give them like a cue or a signal, something like that, a, a directive that helps them understand that it's time to transition to something else. And always giving a time, like a five-minute warning beforehand really helps. Yes. Transition. And- Notifications of transitions are super helpful that helps them understand, like, instead of trying to make them switch from one activity directly into the next one. Think about it, if you're, like, reading a book, for example, or you're watching a movie, and someone suddenly just closes your book, or turns off your TV. I'd be pissed. (laughs) How angry would you be? Yes, and this is what we do to children constantly and expect them to be able to adhere to these schedules or these transitions no and if you want their cooperation in that moment you need to give them a fair chance to be able to right and as adults we have a pre a prefrontal cortex that is developed and can handle those situations but children have an underdeveloped 
prefrontal cortex. They cannot control their impulses. They cannot handle that. That's just how they are. Their brain hasn't developed yet. It's not their fault. They just need more time and more experiences to develop and be able to control their impulses. Some children might not arrive there. Some children might arrive there a lot later than other children. Every child is different. This is not to say that you should always be permissive. There are ways to give a directive to a child to set limits while still being respectful and consenting to their autonomy. Yes, and you want to hold a strong and firm boundary and limit. You don't want to say, oh, are you ready to change your diaper? Or we're going to change your diaper now, okay? <laughs> you know, you don't want to show the child that you are unsure about what's going to happen. But there's a difference between saying, time to change your diaper, let's go, versus, okay, and you can add some autonomy in there as well. So it's time to change your diaper. Do you want to hold the wipes? Or it's time to change your diaper. Do you want to change your diaper on the couch or on the floor? The diaper change is going to happen. You're not questioning that the diaper change is going to happen. You're not giving them permission to say, oh, that situation isn't going to happen. You're not giving them the opportunity to say no to that particular event, but you're allowing choices within that event. Right, because if you give a child a chance to say no, let's face it, they're going to say no. <laughs> right, if you, if you ask almost anyone, are you ready to change your diaper? They're going to say no, especially no. <laughs> if they're playing with blocks and they're really loving it or, you know, are they... I'm busy. They no. just, right, right. <laughs> are they just, they're, yeah, they're just doing their own thing and they they don't care that they pooped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they still want to play in their kitchen. <laughs> they haven't developed the uh, sensory, it doesn't feel yucky to them just yet. <laughs> or it might and they just mm, are ignoring it. Yeah. <laughs> Because something else is more fun. Sure. I've also used, you know, do you want to do this first or that first? Do you want to wash your hands first or do you want to put on your coat first? Or do you want to you wash your hands right now or in two minutes? Do you want to clean up right now or do you want to clean up in two minutes? Yep, that's a good way to do it too. Yeah. And it's kind of an opportunity for us to be creative too. You know, we are creative beings. So we can think of choices to offer them within the routine or within the schedule that they have we are able to find ways to give them choice within that it also empowers them it also empowers your children it gives them confidence confidence to meet their own needs confidence that they are safe and loved confidence that that you respect them it builds trust i think one thing you want to avoid is giving the child a forced choice. Do you want to wash your hands by yourself or do you want me to help you? That's not really giving them a choice. I think that they're... Yeah, that's a difficult one. <laughs> but, but there's a difference between saying it like a, in a threatening way. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, if you don't wash your hands yourself, I'm going to help you. Okay, that's more of a threatening way. But you can say it. I mean, the reality is you might have to help them do it if they don't do it for themselves. So you can ask, so yeah, you can ask, 
do you want to do it by yourself or can I help you? Do you want help? I've heard it like, are you going to move your body or is teacher going to do it for you? Mm. Are you going to sit in your chair or is teacher going to put you in the chair? Right. That's the more, th- yeah, right. In that situation, right. We, I would first even ask, does the child need to be in a chair at that moment? But there are safety situations in which I would say you may have to move a child's body. But, you know, that's not safe for you to climb. I'm going to help you move your body so that you can be safe. So there are situations in which you do need to offer that. But right. But never in a threatening way. Right. The whole chair thing. Are you going to sit in your chair or or should I move you to your chair? There's really no difference between that and just actually moving them to their chair. Yeah, it's so. not it's not actually and it's kind of deceitful. It's not actually giving them a choice in the matter. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, you do want to use that one with caution for sure. Maybe do you want to sit in this chair or do you want to sit in that chair? Right. That's yeah. Mhm. It's time to sit in the chair. Yeah, do you want the red one or the blue one? Yeah. And we don't want children to become afraid of saying no to adults. We want them to know that in a situation where it's necessary, they can say no to adults. Yeah, that's why it's important to allow them to say no sometimes as well. Right, because there are situations where children do need to say no to an adult. Yes, remember that you are the advocate for the child. You are their voice. They don't know how to defend themselves. They don't always have the ability to defend themselves. You have to protect them even when others don't and when others won't. That includes things with personal boundaries and autonomy situations. You need to be their advocate. You need to educate other people and train other people what is respectful and what isn't and what those boundaries should be. And with that, thank you for listening to this week's episode of A Tough Love Podcast. We're going to wrap up with our recommendations of the week. My recommendation is to check out a lady named Sarah Ockwell Smith. She has a lot of posts on Facebook regarding how to take care of children, how to be respectful of children. She's an author. She has books about gentle discipline, gentle parenting and all sorts of good resources. I'll go ahead and put a link in the description of where you can find her. My recommendation this week is another Instagrammer, Dr. Jasmine McCoy. She is on Instagram as the mom psychologist, all one word, and also has a website and YouTube channel. So check her out. Lots of good mom psychologist advice it's pretty explanatory what she (laughs) what she does but definitely a lot of helpful stuff there thank you for listening to our podcast please send us any questions you may have to careconversationspod at gmail.com or find us at careconversationspod on instagram see you next time
Over there, I found the microwave.